um, everyone lines up and uh, we have a, a slingshot and a target. And uh, <laughs> it, so, Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Well, welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Brad Schaefer. Brad is the market manager for the Chihuahua Farmers Market. Brad, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Why don't you give the audience just a little bit of your backstory? And most importantly, how did you end up in Chihuahua? Scott, I want to thank you so much for having having me on and for featuring the area of Northeast Washington. Uh, my my roots in this area go back a long ways. My great grandparents uh, at about 1905. Um, my my great grandfather was assistant county assessor and had heard about some land up here. Like most of our ancestors back then, they all came uh, from farm stock, and so yeah, he had been a teenage farmer in Illinois and had come out here with his folks. Uh, and so as the assistant county assessor, then he had heard about this land up here uh, in the beautiful area of northeast Washington, these these rolling hills and, and uh, kind of flat river valleys with prairies stretching from side to side. And so uh, ended up with a quarter section and uh, through the years, uh, it's been whittled down and uh, I have 15 acres up here. Okay. Um, I, I had been born and raised nearby down in Spokane Valley and had moved to Western Washington for school and then had a career over there with a, a large coffee company that we won't mention. And, and, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, my, my mom is, uh, she's still alive and, uh, is in her nineties now. So I took an early retirement and came back to this area and, and, uh, it was kind of a, a no brainer to, put myself on the family land up here. It had been, my, my great grandfather tried to dry farm it for years and years, uh, and it became more of a vacation place. So I'm living here now and, and, uh, have a couple of family members. My son and nephew live here with me. And, and, uh, so, uh, I ended up back up here, um, and love it. It's, uh, the, uh, the, your typical rural community, a very diverse community that, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about in a bit. Yeah. For, for, I'm going to guess the majority of our audience, how far is Chihuahua say from Spokane? It's, uh, I won't know that answer. Yeah. Mileage, mileage wise, it's about 45 miles uh, from the, the Northern end of town. Um, and then you head towards the Canadian border on highway 395, which is uh, probably, well, it is the main arterial uh, that heads North uh, out of Spokane into the, the kind of tri-county areas we call it um i'm up here in stevens county and uh, so it, it but in reality it's about an hour um to get yep. up here particularly with the way traffic has grown over over time where did you go to school did you go yeah i went to uh to western washington university up in bellingham a little little okay. bit of time down in olympia at evergreen but okay. uh, finished up and got my degree from western um i was an english major with a minor in psychology and a, a concentration in writing. So communication okay. has uh, has been 
um, a talent that I've had. I'm, I'm also a people person and a talker. So, um, so my communication skills have, uh, have really given me a, a lot of success when it comes to my career. So you moved back. How'd you get involved with the farmer's market? So I, uh, I've always, you know, I had a, a corporate job, um, working in the legal area and, uh, I needed a, a creative option and I've, I've always been fascinated with, with wood and construction. Um, I, I had, uh, of course, before I had my, uh, my career at Starbucks, I, I, uh, well, we were going to mention them. Remember, no, we were going to keep that on the down low, but no, you, you spoiled it. <laughs> you can always, you can always uh, bleep that out. Uh, we'll leave that in because everyone knows I work there too. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, um, so anyway, I, I love working with wood. So, um, me and a buddy, we, we formed a little, uh, I guess you could call it a company. Um, and we called it Waits Lake Rustic because I live, uh, on, on the shores of Waits Lake and, uh, and we we did kind of stick furniture, log furniture uh, that you put together, and and so I I started vending when I moved up here. I, I thought, hey, it's kind of a no brainer. I got 15 acres full of full of beautiful timber, and and uh, so started building rustic furniture, and uh, and told my buddy, hey, it's it's you know let's let's do the farmers market. So we joined the farmers market, and uh, I vended there for a couple of years and did a, uh, I guess I, I volunteered for the board because um, I would say the vast majority, I only know of one privately owned farmer's market, but the vast majority are nonprofits um, mm-hmm. supported by the, the community. And, and uh, you know, if you know the structure of nonprofits, you have to have boards. And, and so I joined the board and and uh, I was going to become the secretary to the board, but um, I did a, a gig. Um, we have a Christmas market every early December, and I was the greeter and, and worked with people, and, and they witnessed my people skills and, and how well I worked with people. And so at the, the next board meeting, when I expected to be uh, inducted as the secretary, they asked me if I would be interested in being the market manager. Uh, at the time, I wasn't doing any other work. I was was full on retired, and so I uh, I thought about it for at least a month because I knew it was going to be a, a lot of of time and and energy that would have to go into that, and ended up uh, accepting the position. And so this this will be my third year coming up then as the market manager for the Chewila Farmers Market. All right. So let's talk about the market. I'm going to come back to your your, your job, but I want to let's talk about the market. How long has the market been um, in existence? Um, you know, on our on our uh, logo, um, it says since 2008. But mm-hmm. um, getting to know, I mean, that's been a, a wonderful part of of becoming a part of the farmers market is is integrating myself into the community. I. I've ended up on four different boards and and have really gotten to know a lot of a lot of the movers and shakers and and those who aren't movers and shakers uh, in the community, um, and uh, and so um, what was the question again? I've kind of wandered off. How so? The market of the logo says two thousand and eight. Oh but- yeah 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 yeah. 
So, so getting to know people then everybody, well, I've heard several different stories as far as, well, I, I created the farmer's market or I founded it or that there was some <laughs> rendition of it before 2008. I, I think okay. there was a collective of folks that got together, uh, um, for the, the marketing and, and selling power of being together like that. Um, but, but officially, um, with a board and, and as a nonprofit corporation in the state of Washington, uh, since 2008, so okay. years. And I know this question's challenging because of the pandemic and all of that, but how many vendors are typically at the market? We, uh, we've been growing every year, um, for the five plus years I've been involved with the market. Um, it has expanded from somewhere in the high teens, low twenties to last year, we hit a vendor count high sometime in July of about, I think we had like 33, well, 35 okay. vendors. Yeah. It, it, it well. can vary week to week depending mm-hmm. on how smoky the skies are and how hot the temperatures are. Some products don't do well in the heat. And some, uh, some folks, uh, you know, have issues where they can't sit in, in the smoke. So how, okay. So when actually during the summer, we get, we get hot you get, you get hot there too. I didn't think about the smoke though. That's just, you know, admittedly an oversight on my part, but I guess you guys would get a lot if Canada's got a wildfire going on, it's going to come your direction or anything in the over there. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's it's um, becoming it's become an issue and uh the prevailing the prevailing winds cuz most of the weather um across the US goes west to east and uh, most of our weather comes from the southwest. So okay. any kind of fires that uh, are taking place um almost anywhere in the state of Washington the smoke uh, can really drift around and and uh, yeah the the last couple of years it's it's been pretty intense it's it's almost becoming an annual event and anyone that uh, that lives in eastern Washington can probably attest to that and even i mean when i lived in seattle the skies over seattle would frequently become uh, like the skies of mortar it it's uh, yeah it, <laughs> i shouldn't laugh not, but yeah yeah it, yeah, ho- hopefully, yeah, I, hopefully that, you know, change is taking place and and uh, as more fire sweeps through the forest, there'll be less fires that occur. But uh, it's something that we, uh, we've we learned to deal with uh, almost as, as regularly as we deal with the snow up here. Yeah, would we, um, I can't remember what year it was. I think our first summer here was fine, but the second summer here, I thought I'd lived in Los Angeles. The air quality was so bad. Um, yeah, it, it could just, look like that. The month of August was just yeah. The month of August was was unbearable. You didn't want to go. You didn't go outside. You you wouldn't do anything. Yeah, be- beautiful sunsets. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the market. So it's on Fridays, and. Your, your market runs what mid May to mid October, right? Yeah, this year we're we're opening on Friday the thirteenth of May, and uh, running to exactly I think it's the fourteenth of October, and then we we run one Christmas market, um, large. You know the the markets that are in the the larger urban areas, they can they have the customer base to 
support sometimes a year-round market, particularly, well, in, in this area of the country, you'd, you'd have to be indoors uh, in the wintertime. And so uh, there's, there's uh, at least a couple of indoor markets down in the Spokane area that, uh, that if they're not year-round, they're trying to go year-round. They, they have like uh, holiday markets, Christmas markets that uh, Waits Lake Rustic has participated in. So first off in May, what sort of, what sort of, how do your vendors change throughout the season? So, you know, that is an excellent question. Um, we start out cause I, I talk about a market high of vendors around 35. We start out the market usually in the low twenties. We'll have 20 to 25 vendors and, uh, we have, uh, like most markets, it's split between, farmers and uh, and those who produce uh, farm type goods and then artisan and crafters and uh, so at the beginning of the market I'd say we're yeah you know it's it's usually split pretty evenly uh, even throughout the year although um, when the harvest really begins to come in to chug along in June and July um, certainly the farm the farms uh, have, a lot of product, uh, but early in the season. So, I mean, right now, um, talking to our biggest farm vendor, Front Porch Farm, um, up in Addy, they uh, they obviously have a lot of plants in the ground right now. Um, okay. And when I say in the ground, it's it's uh, you know they have various berries and things that will be outdoors, but a vast majority um, tomatoes, lettuces, squashes, and things. Um, those are are started indoors uh, under lights and then moved into a greenhouse um, although I've seen their greenhouses planted out too and you know I'm not a farmer but uh, I'm I'm a pr- fairly robust gardener and and living up here I've uh, I've established a pretty good sized garden and and I'm picking these guys brains all the time and that's one of the wonderful things about a farmer's market, just the, the conversations that go on, you know, even even recipes, you can talk with these guys, you know, you get this big, weird looking blue winter squash. And it's like, well, how do I prepare this? And and there's a thousand ways to prepare those. And, and they are more than happy to share recipes at our at our operations booth. We We keep a stack of recipes for various things. So early in the season, it's it's a lot of your your more cold weather crops, things like kale, Swiss chard, lettuces. Um, there might be, uh, yeah, um, I'm trying to think of, of what other produce. Because down in, in your area, um, things come in a little bit sooner. We, we have our market uh, rules and regs. Uh, we, we keep everything local and everything mm-hmm. has to be either crafted by yourself or grown by yourself. So, okay. um, but we do allow um, resellers. So somebody might have jars of honey that are produced locally and they're mm-hmm. able to resell them. You know, the hives might be kept, particularly with the farmers. Of course, you want the, the bees around to pollinate your crops. So a lot of farmers have hives there that they may be maintained by third parties, but they're on their property. And then as part of their agreements, they'll package up that honey and resell it for them. So some of the farmers reach out and they'll, they'll get early season uh, 
well, cherries and and some of the stone fruits that usually don't come in till midsummer, they'll get them earlier than they would be naturally growing uh, in the Chuila Valley and and surrounding areas. Um, So some of that begins to show up after a while, but a lot of plant starts, um, uh, a lot of folks coming in, the ones who, uh, who didn't get their garden in or get their greenhouse planted out, um, they will come in and buy something that's already a foot tall, so, particularly with tomatoes, because uh, tomatoes you got to get in pretty early. Garlic is always a confusing one, although it, it's uh, not done until later in the summer, but it's where you got to plant it in the fall. And not everybody remembers to go out in late October, early November and, and get your garlic in and covered up and mulched for the wintertime. Um, I've been growing some really good garlic, I, I'm proud to say. Um, but uh, yeah, so so you get more of the, the cold weather crops, uh, not not as as abundant, uh, but still with with the uh, diversity of the farmers we have, there's uh, there's plenty of, of veggies to go around. The fruits are the things that they usually come in. They, they've got to ripen up and so they come in later in the season. Um, and then again, the number of vendors, we start out somewhat low and then it, it grows, uh, um, as, and usually mainly on the farmer side, cause some, some folks, uh, we got a guy that specializes in, in berries and garlic, and he used to not start the market until June sometime, usually when he actually had something to sell. But okay. I got to say, he's he's famous for his garlic and his berries uh, around here, and people seek him out when he does show up at the market. All right, let's well, let's bounce around here. So, how do people? So you said they're local. So, what do you have a geographic restriction as to where the vendors must come from, or how how do you how does the market decide there? Um, no, there's. Uh, some markets are are pretty strict as far as vetting their vendors. We, uh, I mean, obviously, no, you know, I mean, it, it has to be produced by yourself. It can be, it can be a packaged product, um, but it, it's it needs to be packaged uh, by you um, or be a product that 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 inside the package is something that you grew or created. Um, and, and of course, then there's standards as if it's a consumable that goes in your mouth and it has to be produced in a commercial kitchen. Okay. And uh, so so we, it, you know, the, where the vendor is from doesn't matter, but, you know, they have to travel every Friday to get to Chuila to be able to to sell this this produce. So I and, and if they're growing it on their own land, well, then they're within that, you know, 200 mile restriction, basically, you know, pretty much anything east of the Cascades uh, is acceptable um, to us. But we have vendors that uh, that come from near the Idaho border. We have uh, vendors that come from uh, close to the Canadian border. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's because we're uniquely geographically located fairly close to those borders. So it, it's not prohibitive for a vendor to drive that far. But they have to be somewhat dedicated and they have to, I mean, it's, it's the vagaries of selling. You don't know how much you're going to make. And my, Mm -hmm. 
my favorite line to vendors at the end of the day is that I hope you made your gas money to get back home. And, and most of them, you know, have a, obviously a big smile on their face and, and uh, they've, they've made plenty of money for gas money to get back home. But if you're driving as far from the Canadian border, you're obviously going to want to return on your dollars. Uh, sure. Um, for now, this year, it might be harder with gas prices, though. Yes. Yeah, I know. I drive an F-150 and uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I try. I try not to drive anywhere except just to the market and back home again. <laughs> there you go. I'm looking at your market events, and I, I want to go through these because I'm I'm kind of chuckling here. The cherry splat contest. That is a lot of fun. Though those days, uh, I uh, I really like to shine on those days. I'm I'm a, a perpetually optimistic and and happy person. And on those days, uh, it, that kind of ramps up. And so the cherry splat is, uh, it's, of course, uh, it's the advent of the cherry season. So to celebrate, because uh, cherries, you know, they're, su- you know, I assume they're super popular everywhere. I don't know anyone who wouldn't like uh, a fresh cherry. So when the cherry crop comes in and we time that event with that, um, we have then a contest where folks can sign up during the day. And then at a particular time in the afternoon, and and you, it's probably on our website. I don't have that in front of me, but um, two o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, two then, o'clock. Um, everyone lines up, and uh, we have a, a slingshot and a target, and, uh, and <laughs> so, yeah, folks, uh, you know, depending, we have different age categories because uh, you know we want the the four year olds uh, not to be have to compete with mom and dad. So, uh, so depending on your age, you, you stand at a particular distance from the target and then use the slingshot to, to hurl the cherry at this, you know, usually a white target and it splats. And, uh, then you mark that and, and then, uh, we have various prizes that we hand out for those, uh, for the winners, whoever gets closest to the bullseye. And, and usually it's a, a collection. I mean, I, I just, I can't say enough about my vendors and, and how much I love the market because I'll go around at the beginning of the day and, and you know, just ask for donations for the, the prizes for the cherry splat and come back with, you know, baskets full of, of soaps and lotions and fruits and veggies and cheeses and, and all sorts of delicious things. So it's a lot of fun. People just really enjoy it. And, and I really enjoy being the MC for that. All right. So you're the MC. Okay. Oh yeah. Are you the MC for the zucchini regatta? Um, yes, I am, and that's another fun one. Obviously, again, um, so it, it's so cool to work for a farmers market. It's time then with the uh, the in, influx of zucchinis out of everyone's garden, and uh, we um, provide. You can bring your own zucchini. You can work on it for a week beforehand, or you can just, uh, you know, on a spur of the moment uh, with inspiration, carve your zucchini and create your boat there. Um, One of the beautiful things about our market is that we are located in the Chihuahua City Park, which is, uh, gosh, it's got to be, you know, you know, ten acres. It's it's a it's a good sized park with all these big beautiful trees. And uh, we are on the north end of the park and Chihuahua Creek goes, it it flows right through the park. So um, we have the perfect place uh, 
to have uh, a zucchini regatta. But yeah, folks, uh, I mean, you, you know, you can imagine it's pretty difficult to, to make a zucchini where it's actually going to float on the water. So they come up with all sorts of clever ideas. I mean, there's there's uh, there's no restrictions as far as putting a sail on your boat or creating, you know, pontoons on the side so that it doesn't roll over. And uh, in it, you know, again, we break it down uh, by age categories and and it's just the it's it's generally I'm trying to think if I've I've had an adult participate. Usually there might be one or two parents that jump in. But but no, the kids all stand in, in Chewila Creek. Of course, it's the middle of summer and the creek is uh, nice and refreshing at that point. And yeah, on the on the word go, they launch their boats and whoever makes it to a particular uh a particular point in the the creek then is the winner and and the same basket of goodies that we hand out so just a, a lot of so fun. that's just that's in august okay all right yeah. that's that i was i was chuckling at that that was that's pretty cool so i'm wondering if you have a, a spin on your apple pie eating contest because all it says here is are you the next winner which is pretty vague like, yeah do you, I, are you blindfolded you, you know what yeah no, you, uh, so we, we provide, um, the apple pies and, uh, and it's okay. just, you know, your, your traditional, that's, that's a thought blindfolded would make it even harder, but it's the, the hands behind the back, <laughs> um, the piece of pie in front okay. of you. And, um, I, you know, some people, uh, you know, think it's, it's, uh, slightly on the messy, uh, I, I won't say disgusting side, but, um, you know, it, it's and, and we have, yeah, all sorts of kids and adults and, and it's it's a very mixed group that uh, usually sits down at the table for for uh, eating these apple pies. But, yeah, it's uh, you have to have your plate clean enough where if you lift it in the air, um, not too much falls off of it. Uh, and so, yeah, it's usually half of it's on people's faces and half of it's in their their stomachs. So. It's a lot of fun. I, I I don't think I I think of the fairs I've been to and whatnot. If I've ever been to an apple or pie eating contest uh, outside of the Chewila Farmers Market, and I can't think of one I've witnessed uh, live. So now just another fun event that uh, that that the kids, you know, it, it's we're we're really family and kid oriented. It's it's easy going, um, you know, beautiful sunny days in Chewila. And, uh, there's, there's nothing bad about it. So that's a lot of fun. When you wrap up the season, this one cracked me up too, because it seems so obvious and I've never thought of it before until I read it. It was like, Oh, that's brilliant. Pumpkin bowling. Yeah. So in October, we're going to go bowling with pumpkins. That is a lot of fun. Also again, timed with, uh, with the, uh, with the yeah, come to think of it, you know, all four events that you brought up are timed with particular crops because the apple pie eating, obviously, with the apple crops. So yeah, the right. pumpkins come in, and and uh, usually the last market day, we uh, have our our pumpkin bowling competition. We've got nine pins that we set up, and and uh, and then you know, I I don't know, I, I think probably the roundest pumpkins uh, do the best. And you can use, we, we provide a, a collection of pumpkins, or you can bring your own pumpkin. Perhaps you've grown one uh, <laughs> and made sure it's just nice and round. Um, 
And you, of course, you can bust the stem off and whatnot. But yeah, it's you know age categories, and and uh, you want to use a pumpkin big enough to actually because these are these are actual uh, bowling lane pins so so they're decently okay. heavy and and so you want to knock down as many as possible and yeah three rolls uh and uh, see if you get a strike or not so historically speaking how how i mean are people drilling holes in the pumpkin to put their fingers in it like a bowling ball or what are they no I, that's that's a thought i mean they they you can do that if you want um but usually they just you know they they cup it and just mm-hmm. uh, and just throw it like that. And how far how far are the pins away from where we're oh, rolling these well, from? You know, for the you know for the for the very young set, um, I think it was like you know eight eight to ten feet. And then okay. I, I think I don't think we go further than fifteen feet because, as you can imagine, uh, you know, unless you practice a lot, um, you're not going to get a pumpkin to roll very straight. So. No. Uh, so, which is, which is good. I, and, you know, you can't throw it. It actually has to roll on the ground, but, uh, okay. yeah. Yep. Good okay. Time. So are you, uh, you know, like, do you have straw bales or something to, as, to keep it in a lane or you just, can no, these go randomly wherever? No, we don't, we don't have those bumper guards or anything. Nope. It's, oh. it can go, it can go wherever. So <laughs> I, I could, that, that would be kind of comical to watch. I think that would be. Oh, all, all, uh, all of those events are, are just a lot of fun and and uh, we like to to keep it that way that's why we have them another another big event that uh, isn't isn't necessarily on that it's it's the the cherry splat and, and 4th of July are somewhat um, in conjunction because on the 4th of July we have a a very traditional small town 4th of July celebration this this coming year our our new mayor Greg McCunn is going to be um, there is our featured speaker. We usually have uh, someone who has served in the military. Last year, we had a complete uh, reading of the Declaration of Independence uh, oh, okay. put on by a class. We set up a stage. We have music um, playing there. And and again, another uh, great event that, that really draws people in at, at pr- pretty much the, the height of our season. July and August are are really the the busiest month. Mm-hmm. So give me some examples of types of vendors that I'm going to see there throughout the season. Like you mentioned, you know, you mentioned, you know, root vegetables and we're going to have fruit and all that. What else? But you, you said a word that it seems to me that farmer's markets should have more of, but I'm not finding in cheese. I mean, do you have a local cheese producer that's showing up? Oh, I, I could go on and on about uh, our dairy at the market. We, um, a couple of years ago, um, a couple um, who had met in the Coast Guard and shared a love of dairy, of cows and dairy farms, um, Stacy and uh, Virginia uh, Thompson, they joined our market as a small dairy farm um, and they immediately went organic. So okay. yeah, we are extremely lucky because you won't you won't find that at, at most farmers markets. You're mm-hmm. not going to find a an organic dairy, and and you may you, you may not even find dairy at, at a farmers market. We're very lucky to have Stacy and Virginia at our market, and they run Clover Mountain Dairy and and produce uh, only whole milk. They okay. uh, they they are 
very much one of the most popular booths uh, at the market. And they have over the years then experimented and, and gone into yogurts and uh, and cheeses. Yeah, they make a great Gouda. They, they do a pepper jack. Um, I'm trying to think if they've done some cheddars. Um, their yogurt uh, is pretty spectacular. And then their milk is, is great, too. It comes in glass bottles. And uh, okay. they have these uh, wooden carriers that uh, their customers use. And so, yeah, folks, uh, every week uh, people will be showing up and, and get several gallons of their milk and and some of their cheeses. They've, uh, yeah, they're, we're, we're extremely lucky to have them there. I'd like to expound a little bit more about them. Um, in the early 60s in this area, there were literally hundreds of small dairy farms. Um, like a lot of farming over the last 60, 70 years, um, big agriculture has come in and, and, uh, and uh, sort of taken over the, the industries. And so um, you have, uh, we have dairy gold in this area that, um, that uh, consumed or, or subsumed, I don't know what word I'm looking for, uh, a lot of the, the dairy um, in the area. And, uh, and there's, you know, where there were, you know, two or 300 small dairy farms uh, back in the early 60s. I, th I think for some reason, there's a lot of data from like 63 or 64. Now we're down to about eight uh, small dairies uh, and small being, you know, you know, 100, 150 cows down to Clover Mountain, which uh, they've got, well, they, you know, it varies because they got calves on the way and they're, they've been growing their herd. Um, and I, I think they have five or six cows now that that are milk producing. And, and I think they've got three or four calves uh, on the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to those being born because that's when they'll start lactating again and, and the milk will start flowing again. They go mm -hmm. through a dry period for about two or three months. Um, and this this, you know, the story continues because and this shows the power of a farmer's market where. Um, Stacy in Virginia, as small organic dairy, they are they're really concerned about the the, the small farmers and uh, and the dairies in particular. Um, which farmers markets they're just they're just made for small farmers and and small dairies. And so um, we have created um, with them spearheading the effort a nonprofit, the Eastern Washington Community Dairy. And we are actively seeking funding to build a local creamery. And this mm. creamery then will be used to process uh, milk and, uh, and then sell it to the public um, if, as a nonprofit and to also provide technical assistance for local dairy farmers um, who may um, want to go organic because um, they that's that's one of their. Um, you know, that's important to them and, and uh, important uh, to this area as far as being organic. So, um, so it, you know, it just shows you again, that power um, to support the economics of farming in this area, um, particularly with, within that group of the focus on, on dairy. But uh, yeah, wonderful, 
wonderful folks, and we're just so, so lucky to have them at the Chewila Farmer's Market. Um, when when everybody comes uh, that's listening to this podcast, uh, make sure you visit their booth and say hello. Okay. What else? T- tell us about some of the other vendors at the market. Um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, move on to the next most unique vendor we have, which is a local blacksmith. Um, I've, uh, as I've integrated into the area, it, uh, it is, um, well, you know, now that I know the area, it's not surprising, but it surprised me how many metal workers there were up here. And, uh, John Huffstetter, the, uh, the blacksmith who runs Quailside Forge, he's been at the market for many years and, uh, and I was happy to see his application come in recently. He's going to be with us again this year. And yeah, he has a small forge, an anvil. I mean, it, it's quite the chore to unload such weighty equipment and get it set up. But he actually runs his forge right there. And uh, oh and wow, yeah, he smiths right in front of you, and 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 has a, a collection of uh, of things. Uh, you know, I've he's made me some some custom candlesticks before. I uh, last year I bought a uh, got a, a, a really nice looking fire poker. I'd, I'd show it to the audience, but they they wouldn't be able to see it. Uh, but he does he does really great work, and and again, it's it's something unique to Chewila. You're not gonna um, you know find in in the urban areas of Spokane a, a blacksmith at uh, at a farmer's market. So that's another probably not. Yeah, another one of our unique vendors. The farmers, um, I mean, we, we've touched on them a bit, but they uh, there is a tendency. I mean, some of the bigger ones, Front Porch usually has uh, quite a, a spectrum of, of fruits and veggies to offer. We have others. Well, I mentioned uh, Stranger Creek Farm and Paul Lupke, who, who specializes in berries and garlic and is, is famous for his berries and garlic. And uh, and uh, others that... that have you know they try to carve a niche um where we have a new vendor this year that's going to be selling seeds and we haven't had anyone selling seeds before um so uh and then uh, another um another excellent vendor that uh that we are so lucky to have is uh, a vendor called the bread box they run um a bakery in chewila obviously called the bread box and and they set up at our market and they have all sorts of amazing baked goods their pies um are are incredible i've i've uh, consumed many many of those i mean pies cookies breads pasta um i've been trying to talk them into bringing some some of their spices into the market um and because you can you can pick them up uh, at their their store in town, but, uh, but they haven't brought spices to the market, but I'm a, I'm a spice guy. I, I love to cook. Um, and, uh, so we're, we're super lucky to have the bread box, uh, a really high end bakery there. Um, and then we have, uh, a, a vendor called waterfall red who he does hand carved wooden spoons. My, my kitchen is adorned with all sorts of hand carved wooden spoons that, that Bob has, uh, has made. Um, and he uses all sorts of different types of wood. I, I, uh, I have, I bought one last year that's made out of Wenge, um, which is a, uh, it's a somewhat rare African hardwood. They, they make, uh, anyone who plays marimba, 
um, knows that a lot of marimba keys are made out of the Wenge wood. So um, it's gorgeous. And he carves mm. them with the handles where you have the push pull on the oven racks. You know, you got the hook where you can pull the rack out and then um, it's kind of a heart shape. And then you put you can push the rack back in oh. without using oven mitts, I guess. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so there he's he's popular for his wooden spoons. We have the uh, the little lavender company specializing in in all things lavender, including lavender bouquets. Um, they they make uh, uh, they make both men's men's products and and women's. So I buy a lot of soap from them. They have uh, some some lotions and body spray called Whiskey Kiss, which uh, both my son and I it's one of our favorites. Uh, he usually sprays up quite heavily before he goes into work, and uh, so and then other vendors uh, who who also do kind of the lotion and potion stuff. Um, not, you know, the, the few soaps, uh, soap manufacturers, uh, again, everything just handmade by the vendors that you meet. And, uh, and then we have some family businesses. We have this, uh, this uh, on-site um, pizza, pizza group that, that family that it's called Conscious Crave. They're one of the ones who come from up near the Canadian border drive all the way down with some pretty good sized equipment and uh they and and, the, and it's the family that does it you know it's mom and dad and the kids are there um there's another family that does uh drinks they do different types of lemonades and then they also specialize in tie-dye and 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 it's you know mom and dad and the kids and and you know they're they're very uh they 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 consider at that particular booth they consider it the kids booth and so as far as doing you know the adding and subtracting and figuring out uh, the money and everything uh, the kids do it and and you know it, it's a learning experience they they're learning how to run a business and uh, oh, that's great the kind of effort it takes and I I assume they're also pocketing a little bit of the money once they've paid for their materials um, you know. We have a lot of fabric, um, fabric folks. Uh, um, we had a couple of tie-dye folks last year, that family, and then uh, um, another vendor who did tie-dye. Um, we have uh, Wild Rose Acres specializing in everything crocheted, everything from shawls to hats. Um, uh, back to the farmers, Um Microgreens. I don't know how many in the audience have heard of microgreens, but uh, they're basically just you know the the real baby kind of plants, and they're mm-hmm. nutrient dense. So um, so they're they're great on salads. They're great on on sandwiches, and uh, and we have two microgreen vendors at the market, and they're both coming back this year, and. And uh, yeah, it's. I think everybody's come about. I tell you, this market's just grown and grown and grown. You know, the the pandemic has uh, brought in. Um, we call them pandemic expats, folks that don't want to. live. <laughs> yeah, folks, you know, they don't want to live in in and <sighs> clustered. You know, clustered so closely together necessarily with other humans. They want some space around them, and uh, so. Quite a few folks have have moved into this area. It was a it's always been a growing area, but uh, more so um, a lot of of people moving into the area, particularly ones that can work remotely. Web developers, um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, it's it's a surprisingly creative area. The the our craft vendors are are pretty high end. A lot of artists. The the the, the city itself. We've got. Well, we're one of the very few um, rural creative districts uh, designated so by the Arts Commission for the state of Washington. And I think we were, if not the first, we were the second um, creative district in the state and the the very first of the rural creative districts. And it, it was a nod towards the amount of the number of artists and the creativity that uh, that goes on here one one interesting factoid when it comes to artists and and back to kind of the metalworking that goes on um there is a a famous artist uh Govader, who uh anyone who's driven through vantage on i-90 and is on the the eastern side they glance up and see the the wild horses up on the ridge and and i've hiked up to those several times and taken pictures and things um that was a govadere piece in spokane in the the park uh riverside park there is the the famous bloomsday runners uh, made out of metal and that was another govadere piece you can find his work all over the world and um Super lucky to have him in the community. We have a, even have a mural on one of our buildings in town um, that was painted by Govadere. Sadly, he recently passed away just a few months ago. And uh, so we lost a, a real great artist in the area. But his son, um, it, it sounds like he's picking up um, some of the work and is continuing with uh, those artistic endeavors. So, okay. Yeah. So the market sounds amazing and I know nothing about here. I am the exploring Washington state podcast. I'm going to say, I know nothing about something in Washington state and there's plenty of things I don't know anything about. So I joke, but (laughs) (laughs) what else let's, let's go off. Let's, let's, let's move away from the farmer's market. Tell me a little bit more about Chihuahua. Yeah. Chihuahua. I mean, it's, it's been, I don't know when they consider the the town having been established. Um, we are the the second largest town in the Tri County area, which includes Ponderay, Ferry, and Stevens counties, um, mm-hmm. which make up the the northeast quadrant of Washington State. And uh, Colville was formerly known as Fort Colville. If anyone who's, I'm fascinated by the West, by the myths of the West, by the stories of the West. And, and uh, of course, my, my heart and roots are in Washington state here. So I've done a lot of reading, uh, historical reading on the Columbia river and the development uh, of this area, including Western Washington. And so Fort Colville has been there for a long time. Um, the I, I I can't recall exactly when it was established, but I think at least uh, mid eighteen hundreds, if not slightly earlier. There's stories of uh, of uh, I'm trying to think of who the fur trapper was. He worked for Hudson Bay, but came down from the north, and uh, he he went to the Colville area, and there's a place called Kettle Falls there which there's, there mm-hmm. are no more falls since Grand Coulee was built. It inundated uh, the falls. But those falls were sort of the stopping point for a lot of the salmon coming up from, from the sea. They, they made it all the way up there. And uh, so it was, 
a yearly gathering spot for the native tribes. And they would spend uh, weeks um, during the, the salmon the salmon runs, the, the shamans would go down to the river and watch. They, they, they wouldn't allow any kind of fishing or fish being taken out of the, the river until they had confirmed that enough fish had gone by to supply for future mm. generations. And, okay. and then the fishing would begin. And it was, you know, this huge celebration, this amazing abundance of food. And uh, so this trapper came down and was able to witness this. He meeting some of the natives, they some of them carried these coins around. Um, and this was, I think, about five years, you know, probably 18, 10, 18, 12 after Lewis and Clark had passed through. And these coins had been handed out by Lewis and Clark to the natives oh. and, and been used to barter and trade. So some of the natives had those coins which then alerted, of course, this guy was was uh, coming down from Canada, alerted him that other explorers had been in the area before he had gotten there. Because I, I just, it, it's I as I travel through these valleys and, and mountains, I try to imagine what it was like back then. But so so Fort Colville was established, and and it it wasn't soon after as a as a farming. Um, as a farming town, as a resource for blacksmiths and other other things, it became a, a bit of a hub then for the locals in in what is somewhat the I guess southern part of this valley. I don't know if I you'd call it the Colville Valley or the Chuila Valley. Um, I suppose if you live in Chuila, it's the Chuila Valley, and Colville, it's the Colville Valley. But it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous drive, about thirty minutes uh, between. Colville, which sits to the north of Chihuahua. And uh, it reminds me in the fall, um, it, it used to be folks would bale their, their hay. And nowadays it's those big, gigantic wheels of hay. And as right. I drive through in the fall and it's the golden hour and, and uh, it, it just, it reminds me of the south of France. And it's, it's an area that I won't say it's waiting to be discovered, but it's because uh, it has been discovered and and, uh, um, you know, with with and more and more people are coming here. I, I won't say it's crowded. You know, I, I get back into western Washington and and I, I don't know if it's because <laughs> I've become older or or just the, the contrast between the two. But the, the density and, and the, the freeways and things just can can uh, make me rather tense and anxious and, and around here. Um, yeah, it's just the human density is, is so much less, but, uh, gorgeous area. So yeah, Chihuahua, uh, you know, it, it's been around, you know, at least the, the late 1800s and, and mainly as a resource extraction, you know, growing, growing food, farming, uh, livestock, and, uh, then of course, timber extraction and mining has been, uh, has been quite, popular over the centuries uh, or over the decades we had <coughs> excuse me there's a uh, a mine and i'm I, i'm trying to remember what they mined out of there i think it was was it bauxite but it was during um during world war two um the the major producers of this particular mineral mineral and i think it was bauxite um, they happened to be on the other side of the war. And so um, 
so those imports obviously weren't happening anymore. And one of the, the major uh, places where this mineral exists is here in the Chewila Valley, up in the, the Huckleberry Mountains. So this huge mine went in and, uh, and operated for many, many years. It's the material that they use when you're um, pouring iron and, and steel and whatnot. They, they line, and I don't know anything about steel manufacturing, but this, this it, apparently it, it has these properties where they would line these kilns with it and uh and that way you can produce your iron and you can imagine that for for a war effort uh in order to produce all the metal for ships and planes and whatnot it was it was quite important so that really uh i mean it, it's that has since closed down and in fact uh, there's not a lot of mineral extraction that goes on around here now um, a lot of timber we got mm-hmm. some uh, some pretty good sized timber companies around um and but but it's you know there's there's I, I'm happy to say because I I wear an environmentalist hat um, and so um, I'm I'm happy to say that there's a coalition of forces here that sit on panels and steering committees and and the logging companies are actively a part of those groups so um, you know when it comes to riparian zones or clear cutting and whatnot, uh, it's done with as sustainable practices as possible while still keeping the local population employed. And, and you know, I, I personally know a lot of loggers and, and truckers and, uh, and uh, yeah, very noble, uh, noble folks. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. I always ask this question. Are you a coffee drinker? I, I, yes, I'm, I'm all jacked up on it right now. I don't know if you can tell, but yeah, no, I, I drink coffee all the time. That's one of the, the wonderful things about Starbucks. Uh, if you work there for a long enough period of time and retire from the company, then you are given what they call your mark out for life. Yep. They, they want to share the joy of coffee. So um, as an employee of Starbucks, you qualify for a free pound of coffee every week. Um, they, you know, assume you're going to take that, share it with friends, and and introduce the the love and magic of coffee. And so, uh, having reached that age, been with that company a long time, and retired from it, um, I qualified for that. So, so uh, unfortunately, up here, there's there's not many Starbucks. My closest. Starbucks is is down in the northern edge of Spokane, which is, you know, again, it's about a, an hour drive to get down there to pick up a, a pound of coffee. So uh, when I when I get into town to, to be with mom, which is, is frequently once a week, um, I, I get to pick up my pound of coffee. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a dark roast guy, you know, Sumatra's uh, uh, and uh, and some of those darker roasts are are my okay. drink of choice. Well- when you're not drinking Starbucks, any good coffee up there? Any good coffee in Chihuahua? Yes, um, there we have. Uh, we are able to support two different coffee shops: the the Flowery Trail Coffee Shop, and uh, and one that just opened up called the Yale Press, which is is Press. more more upscale. It's it's uh, Flowery Trail is is uh, I mean they they have these amazing scones, these uh, orange orange scones that they make uh that's that's my 
favorite when I go in there, but it's been exciting to uh, to see the Yale Press go in and and uh, where you can buy a Bowdoin Press um, and uh, and get get pressed coffee and and an actual okay. espresso too because uh, that's one thing flowery no that's not that i take that back flowery trail they do have uh, an espresso machine so yeah we've okay. you know the chihuahua area just to expound on that a bit when i think of the flowery trail road so there's um so the valley sits in between a couple of mountain ranges and and it's the Selkirks that, that kind of come down from northern Idaho and spread across this area, which is a mountain range that is quite a bit older than the Cascades. The Cascades are youngsters compared to the mountains here. Mountains aren't as high. They're a bit more rounded, um, but, but plenty of they're really you find a lot of basalt cliffs and it's very basaltic. And most of the the uh, land here that gets farmed is glacial till intermixed with uh, the local clays and sedimentary dirts that are deposited by the the rivers and creeks and uh so um so we're between the huckleberry i i love telling people i live in the huckleberry mountains the huckleberry ridge uh, in fact i'm looking at it right now out my back door um, beautiful ridge that uh, that I drive up to, and and you can from then from the top of that ridge you can look to the west and look down and see Lake Roosevelt, which is uh, the lake backed up behind Grand Coulee Dam. Then on the other side of Lake Roosevelt is the Kettle Range, which uh, used to boast the only um, lower forty eight uh, herd of caribou, woodland caribou. That that oh. that herd has struggled over the years, uh, particularly as the the wolf and cougar population has increased. Um, they they've struggled, and and I think you know the changing climate, uh, um, lower snowpacks and whatnot. Uh, although this last winter, I, I couldn't say that. But uh, so <laughs> so beautiful mountains here, a lot of great hiking, and then on the other side of the valley from the Huckleberry Range is the Colville. National Forest and, and the Selkirk Range to cut across and get over to Lake Ponderay and the Ponderay River, you have to get over that those Selkirk Mountains, um, and there are few roads that that go through there. One of which, however, is the Flowery Trail, and and it, it goes directly from Chewila and goes over and then hits the Ponderay River uh, at a town called Usk, U.S.K. And uh, it's it's a beautiful road to travel on. Halfway along that road at the top of the mountains is um, a wonderful ski area uh, called 49 Degrees North. It's gotten more and more popular. They just put in a high-speed quad this year, and they huh. had a great season because of the, of the snowpack here. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's... Yeah, geographically and environmentally, uh, it's it's gorgeous up here. Well, one of the things we'll do is we'll put links to the farmer's market in the show notes. But I always wrap up with this question. What didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Probably, you know, as far as diversity in the area, um, I'm I'm a, a proponent of diversity. I feel there's more power with different perspectives, um, and I mean both uh, 
you know, political opinions, um, you know, racial, ethnic backgrounds. And, uh, and there's a great spectrum here in, in the area. And uh, I love, I mean, I, you know, coming, coming out of, I, I mean, I was, you know, middle-class suburban Spokane Valley. It was more American graffiti than Green Acres. And, and then I ended up in Western Washington at a, at a pretty liberal uh, company and, uh, and, you know, met a lot of diverse folks uh, at that company and, and certainly in a big metropolis like Seattle, an international city, um, you meet a lot of different people. Um, but Seattle is uh, notoriously a, a fairly liberal city. And so, um, you know, my, my liberal views, um, everybody was singing the same chorus around me. And it's been a wonderful experience to move to this area and to be able to to not have everybody singing that song and not being challenged on my views and opinions. And and I've enjoyed then the diversity of the the uh, political opinion and and uh, ideas, uh, you know, both. I mean, you know, from religious to sexual orientation to everything. And and you'll find you find a little bit of everything in uh, in this area. Um, it's uh, you know, it's, it's traditionally been conservative. I, I would call it a bit of a Bible belt. Um, a lot of evangelical um, churches in the area um, and also, you know, traditional Methodist and, and Catholic and and uh, the Mormons have a huge place uh, right on 395, and one of my neighbors uh, attends there. So, so the diversity, I've, I've really enjoyed that. And, and frankly, it's, it's bent some of my views. Uh, um, and I've become, I think, a much more centrist individual than I was before, which I think is, you know, is that kind of centrism. I, I, I see it as our saving grace in less folks can be more open uh, to allowing people to have different opinions. And, and, you know, it's not, to me, it's not about winning or losing. It's, it's about all of us being together and enjoying this amazing place that we live, enjoying a wonderful farmer's market. Uh, I'll add here that we don't allow any, you know, overt political statements, uh, you know, no, no guns or drugs uh, at the, at the market. And, and again, it's very family oriented. So um, we, we want to make sure that, uh, that, that everyone gets along with everybody. It's, I'm like, I say, I'm a, I'm a positive person and I, I see the humanity and love in, in everyone's eyes around me. And, and uh, I, I make sure that I, move myself through life, uh, knowing, knowing that and recognizing that humanity and the people around me. I know one question I didn't ask about the farmer's market. Are dogs allowed? Yes. As, as okay. long as, uh, you know, I'll say as long as they're leashed and decently behaved, uh, there's been okay. some unleashed ones there, um, that, uh, that were well behaved and others that I've, um, you know, had to ask owners a couple of times and then actually chase, find a piece of rope and then chase the dog down and tie it up and hand it to the, hand it to the owner. But no, we, we love our dogs. Uh, um, I've, I've, you know, my dog sleeping on the couch right now. And, and so, yeah, no, we're very, 
animal friendly. Um, I would, I've, one thing I've always wanted to have is like a, a small petting zoo, you know, get, get some little, uh, porky pigs and some little sheep something <laughs> there, but that's a, a step we, we haven't taken yet. Uh, it'd be a, a bit more challenging, I guess. Yeah. I mean, markets could go in so many different directions and, you know, that's, that's awesome. So I'm looking forward to, I'm going to get out, I'm going to get out that way this summer. I've got, um, we're, we're building a road trip agenda around the state, which is pretty daunting, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And I have not ever been to Chewila, so I'm looking forward to yes. uh, coming up there and oh, checking it out. Yeah, try, and, to, uh, try to time it with a Friday and uh, right, love to right. meet, uh, face-to-face and uh, yeah. show you around the, my market. So, And that goes for it. I would love that. Yeah, anybody who's listening right. to this, uh, look me up at the market and uh, and I'll expound even more uh more about all its good, good aspects. Perfect. Well, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us the Chihuahua's market and the area around uh, the market. I have a, I am looking forward to coming up there this summer. It's going to be hot. I know that, but it's hot in Wenatchee, so it won't be any different. Um, Well, we have, we have lots of lakes and rivers to jump in. You could come up to my lake here, Waits Lake and, uh, and jump in. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. Awesome. I can't thank you enough for, for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. Join us next time for another episode of the exploring Washington state podcast.